following is brought to you by Canyon Ridge Church in Tacoma. For additional podcasts or information on service times and upcoming events, please visit us online at www.explorecrc.com. Two years, we met at Bible College in Eugene, Oregon. Uh, I was a senior, I think, and Ramona was a freshman. And three months before school was out, we had a formal introduction to one another. We were actually on a double date. I was with another girl and she was with another guy. But by the time the evening was over, we were together and uh, it never stopped. We got married, engaged within three months and married within six. And uh, it's been a wonderful marriage made in heaven and we love it. We just absolutely love it. We're so happy together. We have three children, our oldest, Eileen. And uh, her family are down in the Eugene, Oregon area in a little town called Junction City outside of Eugene. And they have two girls, uh, our oldest grandchildren, 22 and 21 maybe, or 22 and 20, something like that. They're both in college now. Um, at the other end, well, our middle one is Jeff. You'll, you know Jeff. I'll mention him a little bit later. But Jeff was a former youth pastor here at church, and he met and married his wife, uh, he met Katie Hornshoe here at the church, and so that's how they got, got connected one with another. Um, and they have three boys, all of them, uh, I think, about two years apart, maybe 16, 14, and 12 or something like that. And then uh, it's Ramona's job to remember the birthdays and the ages, so, you know, I do the best I can. And then uh, we have our youngest, who is uh, Andrew. Actually, we had been... I think Jeff was maybe 14 years old, and we were sure we were done having children, and then we had one of those oops. Um, but it was actually God. It was something that the Lord did. We, we, we really knew that God gave us this child, uh, Andrew. And uh, so he's 14 years behind his brother and sister. He's, he's kept us young. We went to PTA meetings at school, and all the other parents were young, and we were old, and we didn't mind it a bit. And uh, he's just been such a joy. And uh, all three of our children are serving the Lord, and um, that's, just, that's just the grace of God because we have dear friends who have children that they've poured the same amount of love and training and discipleship and nurture into, and they have prodigal children. And so, so one of the things that I love to do is pray for uh, prodigals. But uh, we're delighted to be with you. I've never met your pastor, Pastor Josh, in person. He tells me he's been here a year and eight months. Uh, I told him on the phone last night that he ought to stay home and not try to make it, but I think he tried to make it and then found out he needed to go back home. And so um, this message is being taped, and uh, I'm glad that it is because I actually have a word that God gave me for pastor and for you folks that are here. I didn't, I've never preached this sermon before. I'll probably never preach this sermon again that I'm aware of anyway, but... Um, God did speak to my heart, so let's let's pray. Let's see. When do you normally finish here? About five, ten after eleven, something like that. Is that? Yeah, I won't. I won't abuse the time. I know you want to get home and see the game, but I do want to bear my heart about what God said to me for you. So, Father, thank you for your word. We love it. It's eternal. It's settled in heaven. Uh, thank you for these that have gathered in this community of faith this morning. We are worshiping with a host all around this nation and around the globe. 
Saturday night services, Sunday morning, multiple services, mega churches, little country churches, Lord, wherever the gospel is being preached, break in, Lord, and touch and transform and change the lives of people. Move us today. Let us leave different than we came, Lord. We've all been to multiple church services. Most of us have anyway. And Lord, uh, we're not satisfied with the status quo. Thank you, Father, for breaking in today. Holy Spirit, come. As we sang in this last worship chorus, come, Holy Spirit. We invite your presence right now. Come, Holy Spirit. We welcome you. We welcome you to speak to us from your word in Jesus' name. I'm going to start, before I read my text to you, uh, and I didn't get a bulletin, but I, I, somehow you get notes, don't you? Or you get an outline or something. I, Pastor, I, I don't, I just tell you right up front, my phone is rarely with me. I do have a smartphone, and I do use it during the week, but on the weekends, it's in my office, and I just don't carry it around. And he uh, contacted me and wanted me to send that, and I didn't get it to him until late last night, so I didn't see it, but... Uh, before I read my text to you out of Job, I want to just tell you a tree story. Um, in 1988, my wife and I moved our children from uh, Wichita, Kansas to Eugene, Oregon, where I served as the new president of Eugene Bible College. In fact, uh, we're so delighted to see Doug and Pat White this morning. I did not know they went to church here, but Doug was uh, one of our faculty members at the Bible College, having uh, retired already as... as uh, a chaplain in the military. So we're so happy to see them, dear friends of ours. Um, we were there seven and a half years in Eugene, Oregon, and during that time, uh, for me at least, it was a journey of miraculous wonder, and I'm not going to tell you all the stories and all the miracles that happened, but we did see God um, double the size of the student body and uh, double the size of the campus, uh, property double... Um, so many things, capital expansion, buildings that we built, but the, the, the students, the faculty, and the staff were what I really loved. Uh, just had a wonderful relationship of harmony and, and grace with them, and uh, it was my first time officially in higher education other than getting my own degree. So um, I, I do have a few memories that were not so pleasant, and I'm going to tell you one of them this morning. Um, it's a tree story. One morning, one of the faculty members, she was a wonderful lady, asked for permission to come to my office and meet me, and when she came in, she had tears in her eyes. She was weeping, and um, she was grieved, and I think I can say pretty, pretty honestly, transparently, that she was angry. She was angry at me, and the reason was because we had just cut down a very large pine tree. The pine tree was very close to our main building, uh, out next to the parking lot. It was leaning. Uh, it was messy. You know, a lot of uh, sap and stuff would get on the cars when the people would park there. And actually, we lived in Eugene, as I've just told you. And Ramona and I, even walking in the neighborhood, we we saw trees fall through houses. Uh, people were uh, infrequently but regularly killed in Eugene, Oregon, from falling falling fir trees, and um, I suppose that happens up here too, although I haven't heard much about it, but this was just a dangerous tree, so I cut it out, and she really disapproved of me and what I did, and she was casting me as a tree hater, as an anti-environmentalist, that I didn't understand creation care, 
And what she didn't know as she was weeping and telling me, how could I hate this tree and cut it down and do this to nature and to God? She didn't know is I probably loved trees more than she did. Um, I love trees. <laughs> and uh, I, as a boy growing up, I can still tell you on Boston Street in Wichita, Kansas, we had a flowering peach tree in our front yard and a beautiful pin oak tree in the backyard. We had a locust tree. We had a sycamore tree. We had an elm tree. Uh, I, I grew up just loving trees. I remember in the eighth grade in a science class, one of the segments was on botany, and we had to go out through all the parks of the city, and we had to collect leaves, and we had to identify the tree and label the leaf and turn these into our science teacher for a grade. When I was working toward my Eagle Scout, I got my Nature Merit Badge, and we had to do the same thing again, except with that, we had to move from the leaves to, to the bark, too, so you could recognize the bark. It's just that I love the colors of trees. I love the smells of trees, all the hues that fall. In, in Wichita, where we live, they had four seasons, and the falls were just, just beautiful with the reds and the golds and everything. Um, I, I loved cutting wood and the smell of wood. This, this might sound strange to you. My folks bought a new home uh, in 1953. I know that makes me sound old. Uh, I was a young boy, but in 1953, they bought a new home on Boston Street, and you're familiar with what a cedar chest is. Well, they had two cedar closets in the home. The entire interior of both closets in the main hallway where the bedrooms were was lined with cedar, and you'd open the door, and you'd go in there, and it was like, I remember as a boy going to uh, Yosemite and Rocky Mountain National Park and all those different places, and we'd buy these little treasure boxes or whatever they were, you'd open them up and they'd smell like cedar. Well, this, this whole closet, both closets smell like cedar. There's nothing about trees and wood and fruit. As a boy, I would climb peach trees and pear trees, get as high as I could to pick all the fruit, and, and, and I, I love trees. Well, I, I won't talk to you too much more about trees for a while, but um, Friday... Just two days ago, Friday morning, early, I rise early to spend time in the Word. Um, I was in the book of Job, and I came across this passage of Scripture, which is going to be your text. And the Lord spoke to me about this church and said, change your message. I had another message all prepared to give you. And uh, like I said, I've never, never preached this message before, but I want to read to you right now if I can. Um, from Job chapter 14, verses 7 through 9. And I'm reading from the NIV. And it says this, There is hope for a tree if it is cut down that it will sprout again. And its new shoots will not fail. Its roots may be old in the ground, may grow old in the ground. Its stump die in the soil I know if you're spirit-filled, you already are getting where I'm going with this. Yet at the scent of water, at the scent of water, it will bud and put forth shoots like a plant. Before I give you the word, and I'm going to actually read the word that the Lord gave me for pastor and for the church. Before I do that, I said, Lord, how are we getting from a tree to a church? And he reminded me of the parable of the mustard seed. 
And in the parable of the mustard seed, they planted the smallest of seeds in the ground, and it grew and became a mighty tree. And the birds of the air came to lodge in it and perch in it. You know, the church is the agency of the good news. The church is how God spreads the good news. It's the church with its, it's the body of Christ. It's the Zion of God. It's the temple, the abiding place of the Lord. And in that particular parable, which appears in three of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, in that parable, this seed is planted and it grows into a mighty tree. I remember when we were in Brazil, uh, I was in Brazil with uh, Paul Canfield, who was the director of international ministries for open Bible churches. And, and uh, in the center of town in Rio de Janeiro, there's this huge tree, this mammoth tree. It's a, it's a, a tourist attraction. It brings everybody there. We had our picture taken in front of it. It's just massive, massive tree. And it reminded me of that parable of the mustard seed. Um, but as I read this, the word tree became church. And so I want to read it. You know, there's hope for a church. If it is cut down, that it'll sprout again. Its shoots will not fail. Its roots may be old in the ground. Its stump die in the soil. Yet at the scent of water, it will bud and put forth shoots like a plant. So if you're familiar with the gifts of the Spirit, there are nine gifts of the Spirit. Three revelatory gifts, three power gifts, three uh, inspirational or vocal gifts. And of the three revelatory gifts, the gift of, the spirit, the gift of knowledge, um, the gift of the word of wisdom, word of knowledge, word of wisdom, and discerning of spirits, all revelatory gifts. And this is a word of wisdom that the Lord dropped in my heart. And uh, so I'm just going to say, there is hope for a church cut down that it will sprout again. Your new shoots will not fail while the roots may be old in the ground and the stump may die in the soil, yet at the scent of water it will bud and put forth shoots like a plant. Paul says in Romans eleven sixteen, if the root is holy, the branches are holy. And the first thing I want to say to you this morning is the roots, the foundation, the sure foundation of this church is holy. I haven't been in this church for years, but I can tell you we have a history with this church. Amen. This church, uh, Ole Hansen, was probably among the first pastors in all of Open Bible in the United States of America to invite me to preach when I came as the new president of Eugene Bible College. And we were not Open Bible people. Uh, we were grafted in. And so I was a stranger, and he didn't know me. He didn't know my preaching style or anything about me. But he invited me up to encourage me in the school. And I remember preaching for Oli when I was in this church. Uh, when Ramon and I were in Bible college ourselves as students, guess who were students with us? Doug and Will DeTrenum. They were, they were students with us in the church. Doug was here for more than two decades as a youth pastor before Oli stepped down, became pastor emeritus, and then Doug became your senior pastor. And Doug and Wilda were the senior pastor for years, and they were dear friends of ours, just very dear friends of ours. Um, when your next pastor, um, and I've got his name written down, and I'm forgetting it right now, but it's, uh, don't tell me because I've got it written down. Oh, I hate it. I hate it. Okay. 
Well, tell me, tell me your next pastor's name. John. John Sims. It's there. When John, when John started to plant a church, not here, when he started to plant a church, he invited me to be in his church. I st- you know, I've preached thousands of sermons in churches all over the globe, and I don't remember what I preached in most churches. I can't tell you why it is. I can tell you today why, what I preached that first time that I met John in his church. I don't know John well, but I remember specifically that the Lord had me speak on this double-edged sword, the Spirit and the Word, the Spirit and the Word. And um, he gave us a mosaic made out of glass or mirrors or something, and he had it framed, and uh, it hung in our house in Des Moines, Iowa for years and years. And uh, our son, Jeff... Doug, Doug hired Jeff to be a youth pastor here in this church. This is where he met Katie. Uh, this church has touched us that way as well. Um, do, you, do you know, I can't tell you how many people this church has sent out into vocational ministry. This church has been a sending church. And not only vocational ministry, but marketplace ministry. Men and women of God, anointed by the Spirit, discipled by Jesus completely, went to Bible college, and then they've been sent out uh, to minister. This is an amazing heritage that Canyon Ridge has because of all these people that are serving the Lord out and about. Uh, so I'm just, I, you know, I'm thrilled to be here, to be part of this, and uh, it is not out of a spirit of arrogance or presumption or spiritual pride or I've got this gift or that gift or anything like that. All I can tell you is it was early Friday morning. I had another message planned. I was really excited to preach to you out of 1 Kings 18 because I wanted to talk about uh, what, what Elijah said when he was facing the prophets of Baal and the prophets of Asherah. And he said, let it be known today that you are God. Let it be known today that you are God. The God that answers by fire, let him be God. And uh, the Lord said, no, I have a word that I want you to bring to the pastor and to the people at the church. And so, uh, so that's what I want to I share that word with you. Now, where does that take us from here? Um, how does a church that's cut off grow back? How does a church that's cut off grow back? Um, let me tell you that church is my life. I have been a pastor to pastors for more years than I can remember. Uh, right now, I serve as president of the Pentecostal, Pentecostal Charismatic Churches of North America. It's an association of uh, about 35 denominations, Pentecostal Charismatic denominations from across all of Canada, the United States, and northern Mexico. We represent over 40,000 churches. My dearest and best friends are the presidents and CEOs, the presiding bishops, the general superintendents of all the major Pentecostal movements. And uh, I've I've been in churches of multiple denominations, and uh, I love the church. I know the church. I know about its warts and its blemishes and its failures, and I know about its great victories. I know about, I, I know that Jesus said that his church will prevail and the gates of hell cannot stand against it. And I believe the Lord sent me as a messenger of hope. Um, 
I just believe he sent me as a messenger of hope to tell you that there is hope. There is hope when a tree is cut off. There is hope. There's big time hope because the God of hope can cause you to overflow with hope. So, uh, so I want to just quickly take a moment and share with you about the state of the church. Because uh, I was just in Los Angeles recently with Dr. Ed Stetzer, if you've heard of him, uh, Lifeway Bible Research. Uh, he and probably David Kinneman with Barna Research are the two leading researchers. And, and it can be pretty discour- discouraging if you listen to somebody talk about the state of the church in the West. And when I say the West, I'm talking about the United States of America and Canada and Australia and uh, the United Kingdom, the Church of the West, not the developing world. Um, Let's begin by saying there are over 350,000 churches in our nation. Uh, The numbers, you hear different numbers, 375, 367,000, different, but over 350,000 churches of all different kinds in our nation. 67% 67% of them, that's a new number. That, I just heard that for the first time a few weeks ago in L.A. 67% of them are in decline or plateaued and not healthy. 67%. That's over 235,000 of the churches. The other 33% uh, might be considered, I'm going to put quotes around it, growing. But 30% of them grow through transfer growth. They grow because... You leave here and go there. They're not growing because of new conversion growth. Now, the mega churches that everybody hears about, they only represent 1% of the people that attend churches. So the, the real backbone of Christianity and of church in our nation is not the mega churches, although they're the ones we always hear about and see about on television. It's the, it's the pastor, the faithful pastor that shows up in rural Iowa, you know, or the outskirts of Puyallup or Tacoma, where week after week and month after month and year after year, they teach and they preach and they do weddings and they do funerals and they love their flock. You know, the, the shepherds that, that are the church of Jesus Christ and part of the body of Jesus Christ. It's not a good thing to have to tell you that most people in churches in America are nominal Christians. Most people in Christian churches are nominal Christians. Let me define that for you. Nominal means they are biblically illiterate to begin with. And I'm going to surprise you perhaps with what I say about that. They are biblically illiterate because uh, they don't have a biblical worldview. It's one thing to know the Bible or to know the stories of the Bible. Jonah and the whale or the great fish. Or David and Goliath. You know, it's one thing for your children, your youth, to know the stories of the Bible. It's quite another thing for you to make all life decisions based on filtering them through what the Word of God says and directing your entire life, your whole being, about how you are led by the... It's when this becomes how you choose, how you decide, how you live, when this affects your behavior... Then all of a sudden, you might be a discipled follower of Jesus and not just go to church and be nominal. Another thing about nominal Christianity, they don't share their faith. The most recent research is just, it's amazing. It'll blow you away. It's, it's almost hard for me to comprehend. The Southern Baptist Convention has 40,000 churches. The Southern Baptist Convention 
40,000 churches. They have done recent research. 90% of their people, uh, not, did I say 97? Not, if I said 90%, I didn't mean that. 97% of the people that attend their churches will go to heaven and never have once shared their faith with anybody else. That's the number all church leaders are using now. 97% of Christians don't share their faith. Now, I'm sitting in front of a bunch of Christians that probably do not share their faith. You might live your faith. You have biblical vows and you live it. But most people are afraid to share their faith. Is it any wonder that the church of America has become passive and ingrown and enculturated and the combines are in the barn instead of out in the fields harvesting where they're supposed to be? Is it any wonder? So the stats aren't all that great. We're closing more churches than we're opening. And uh, there's not a single county where we're keeping up with pop population growth. More people are being born and not being Christians, then people are being converted to Christ and becoming Christians, so we're losing ground that way. But in our text, something else happens, you know. And how does, how does that happen in the spiritual dimension? How does the Spirit work to renew and to revive? When Paul was writing to the Corinthians, in his first letter to the Corinthians, he was writing to a struggling church, a divided church. He was writing to a carnal church. And Paul said to them when he got close to the end of the book, chapter 13, it's a chapter you should instantly say, oh, 13, that's the love chapter. He says when he gets to the end, of it, he says, now, there are three things that remain. Now, when a guy like Paul says there's three things that remain, you want to listen, right? He says, that's it. There's three things that remain, faith, hope, and love, these three. Well, you know, the scriptures say that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word is established. So I wondered, is that similar thing said anywhere else in scripture? And so I want to share with you Colossians 1, 3 to 5, 2. And I'm just going to paraphrase it. I'm not going to take the time to turn to it and read it. But Paul is just beginning his letter to Colossians. And Colossians, you know, they're mature believers. And he says, I thank God for your faith. And I thank God for your love, and he says, which spring out of hope. Your faith and your love, which spring out of hope. So here we have it again. These three things. It's like a three-legged stool. Anybody ever tried to sit on a three-legged stool with only two legs? <laughs> it does not work. You can't remove one of those. Hope, faith, love, these three, you got to have them. And when I'm asking the Lord, I say, because I've known so many people that have tried to restart churches and go plant new churches and, and uh, close churches and then start at another place across town. And, and in, my, in my MSM program, it's like a, it was a precursor to the MBA program, organizational leadership and organizational behavior. They say, if you have a restaurant and it's serving bad food and everybody quits coming, don't, don't leave it in the same spot and just try to rename it. They said, close it and move it to another place and rename it. People will associate it with the bad food if you stay in the same place. Every kind of angle and gimmick and method has been tried to make church work. And if I'm part of a church 
that has been cut off. Now, that can mean any, or, or if I'm a person that has been cut off, this can be individual or this can be corporate. This word from the Lord can be individual. I'm going through a financial crisis. I've been cut off. I'm depressed. I have a health problem. I've been cut off. Um, I'm, I'm turning, I'm getting blind, you know, this, this or that, or my, my kids have gone prodigal on me. You know, I've been cut off. Or, or my church people have left or split or whatever's going on or embezzlement or infidelity and adultery. Uh, you know, I've seen everything and I've heard it. When this happens, when a church gets cut off, there's got to be hope. You've got to have hope. Amen. If you don't have hope, we don't have anything, do we? If we don't have hope, we don't have anything. What does Proverbs 13, 12 say or 12, 13? It says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. But a longing fulfilled is like a tree of life. You know, there's nothing more exciting than to be part of a church that catches a vision, a dream, has a picture in their mind, sees a new church from a church cut off. You know, that, that tree, that tree's going to come back. It's going to sprout. It's going to bud. It's going to have new life. That's one of the most exciting things you can be a part of in the kingdom of God. The, num the number three is, is a significant number in Scripture because of the completeness and the wholeness of God. It's the Trinity, isn't it? It's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's completeness, it's wholeness. And, and I just briefly this morning want to walk you through hope, faith, and love and share some thoughts with you about that. Um, I, I would like to tell you, first of all, you know, I made the comment, if we don't have hope, we don't have anything. And it's not been very many years ago when Elvira Higgins in the Open Bible, Living Word, Open Bible Church down in Hollywood, Florida, not Hollywood, California, Hollywood, Florida. She's a pediatric nurse. She was um, an immigrant from Trinidad. She had three adopted teenage kids. And uh, she was diabetic and she went blind in one eye and then lost 95% of the sight in the other eye. And just in a hopeless situation, she um, had surgery on it, laser surgery. It didn't work. And uh, she said uh, to her pastor, she says, what am I going to do? How am I going to make ends meet? How am I going to feed my children? How, how am I going to get around and go anywhere? She couldn't even see her fingernails. I mean, she was, she was blind. And uh, her pastor and the whole church on Tuesday mornings, they had a prayer and fasting uh, time every, every Tuesday morning. They prayed for her. They anointed her with oil, laid hands on her. They did everything they could do. Then she had this extra surgery, and it didn't work. And when you read her testimony, she says, uh, there was just no hope. I was going to be blind. There's just no hope. I'm going to be blind. Six months later, she was sitting in a service like this. The pastor was preaching. You couldn't see. She just was listening. And the Holy Spirit spoke this word to her. So you're going to accept your blindness, right? So you're going to accept your blindness. And she said, no, I'm not going to accept my blindness. I'm not going to accept my blindness. And the church kept praying, and she redoubled her efforts in prayer. And one Sunday morning, she got, she got up, and she opened her Bible like she always did, and she looked at it, and the words were clear. Hallelujah. Just the words were clear. And she went from hopelessness to hope. 
Romans 15, 13, the God of hope fill you with all peace and joy so that as you trust in Christ, you can overflow with hope. See, you can either be overwhelmed or you can overflow with hope. You can just be overwhelmed with hopelessness or you can be overflowing with hope. And that's what, that's what Father wants to do. He wants you to overflow with hope. Christ in us, the hope of glory. We have this hope as an anchor of the soul, steadfast and sure. I've seen churches die. I will, I will confess to you. I've seen churches give up. I've seen church buildings become saloons, taverns. I've seen them become schools, insurance agencies, strip mall businesses. But, you know, I've seen churches turn it around, too. I've seen abandoned, vacant churches. who They had a holy root in them. People had sacrificed and given and prayed for years and years, and the church had a history, a strong foundation, and the roots were holy. I remember New Life Church in Colorado Springs had some, excuse me, some young next-gen leaders in it, and there, there was an abandoned mainline, I think it was Episcopalian or something, but it was a mainline church in downtown Colorado Springs, and it was just empty, nobody using it, and they went to their pastor of this mega church, and they said, could we go down there and start a church? And they went down there, and they started a church that's just thriving today. And it was in an abandoned, vacant church where, for, because the roots were there, see? It still sprouted. It still budded because of this, this scent for water. And um, so let's talk about the scent for water for just a minute this morning. Uh, yet at the scent of water, it will bud. See, hope never acts alone. It's not enough just to have hope. Hope smells water. Hope smells water. Hope scents the prompts, sense, S-C-E-N-T-S, the promise. You tracking with me? When you cut it down, when you're cut down, when there's pain, there's hurt, there's brokenness, there's bondage, God's spirit shows up and he gives a promise and you move from pain to promise. You might see a picture in your mind. You might catch a vision. You might have a dream. You know, if we took just a moment and I said to you, what's Canyon Ridge like one year from now, two years from now, three years from now? What's the dream? What's the hope? What's the picture? What's the promise that God has given? Because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, Romans ten seventeen. Turn that verse backwards. Instead of faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, the word of God births a hearing, and hearing births faith. Hebrews 11.1, 1, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Faith doesn't see with the natural eyes, it sees with spiritual eyes, but it does in fact see. And I want to tell you that, tw- that spiritual eyesight and spiritual hearing is 2020. It is better than natural eyesight and natural hearing. You can actually see something as though it's accomplished and complete by hope in faith before it ever happens. And you ask anybody that has walked in that dimension of faith, one of the gifts of the Spirit, one of the power gifts is the gift of faith. I, I've been there so many times, I can't tell you how many times God has spoken a word and it birthed hope in my heart, but you know, faith is not passive, it's active. 
Didn't James say, faith without works is dead, being alone like the body without the spirit is dead? So faith without works is dead? Faith is the coin of heaven. Faith is the economy of the kingdom. Faith is the medium of exchange by which all kingdom things transpire and take place. It's not enough to have hope. Hope can't stand alone by itself. Hope has to have that partner, that other leg of the stool, which is faith. And faith steps out like Peter did out of the boat. Faith is the doing thing. Faith is the risk-taking Faith is the courage to act when you're thinking to yourself, what if this fails? What if nobody comes? That's one of the main reasons people don't invite people to church. They don't think they'll come. Even though research says if you ask four people to church, at least one person will come and say yes. But nobody asks anybody to church. Faith and hope, they sense the promise. See. S-C-E-N-T-S. I mean, we're dealing with three words. Those are called what? Uh, those are called homonyms. S-E-N-S-E-C-E-N-T and S-C-E-N-T. We're talking about scent, the scent of water, the scent of the promise. Abraham was told to move from the Ur of Chaldees, and he went and he lived in the promise. He went and he lived in the promise. You have to live in the promise. A tree that's been cut down, a church that's been cut off, or your life that's cut off, and you're about to lose hope, there's going to be some place where you're going to have to seek out the water and understand and know in your spirit that the water is on the way. The water is on the way because it, it says in Psalm 46, for there is a river, the streams whereof make glad the city of God. The city of God is the... You know, you know, the city of God is, is the church. It's the, it's the dwelling place of God. It's the place where, where we abide in him, where he lives in us and we live in him. And in the Old Testament, it's Jerusalem. It's Mount Zion. It's called a lot of things. But in the New Testament, that city of God is the community of faith. It's the church. And you can sense that water. It's, it's there. So it says in Psalm 46... For it says, there is a river, the streams whereof make glad the city of God. It's not a river that I can show you on a, on a map or a globe. It doesn't have a longitude or a latitude. Um, it's, not a, it's not the Nile, you know, it's where Moses was. It's not the Jordan where John was baptizing. It's not the Euphrates, which is in the Garden of Eden or the Tigris. It's not those rivers at all, but there is a river. There's a river that flows out of the throne of God. Ezekiel said that came out of the threshold of the temple. John says it comes out of the throne of God. There is a river. There is water. And there is hope. And faith can grasp it. Faith can apprehend it and step into it if it will. And so I just I want to say to Canyon Ridge, believe for it. Believe for it. You know, the last time I was in this church, there were three services. The last time I was here, there were three Sunday morning services. I had to preach in all three of them. That's an experience to preach the same message three times and still feel, you know, feel excited about it. <laughs> oh, wow, wow. Be anchored in the promise. 
be anchored in the promise. When a tree is cut down or when a church is struggling to bud and sprout new shoots, hope is not enough. It takes ever-increasing faith, active faith, daring faith. It says in Hebrews eleven six, for without faith, it is impossible to please God. A faith that smells water, sees the water, tastes the water, even though it's not there. It's like we're coming upon Thanksgiving, right? I can, I, Ramona gets up in the middle of the night and starts the turkey and I'll get up at 6 o'clock in the morning. I haven't seen the turkey. I haven't tasted the turkey. I haven't touched the turkey, but I can smell the turkey. It's filling the whole house. And that's what a tree cut off that has hope and that has faith. They sent the water. They sense the water. They sense the water. So, but what about the love part of this? Because I don't want you to miss this. So what makes faith work? What propels faith? What fans the fire of faith? This is so fundamental to church health and growth. We've talked about the state of the church. We've talked about what most churches in America are experiencing. So fundamental to church growth. When a church is cut down like a tree is cut down and the Holy Spirit gives a word or a promise or a vision or a dream to the leadership, it produces hope, which in turn births active faith. And what moves that whole thing forward? If you have a, if you have a car, you might have a key, and uh, you may even have a map. They don't use maps anymore, do they? So you have a GPS, and you might even have a driver in it, a pastor. You know, you got the car, you got the key, you got the GPS, you got the driver. But what moves the whole thing forward? What fuels, what fans, what spark, what fire moves it forward? Well, it's love. It's the, it's the compassion it says in Romans 5, 5, that the love of God was shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. When we went to our, my first trip to Israel, I've been there three times, but when Ramon and I first went to Israel, one of the places I remember most was Nazareth. Nazareth is where Jesus grew up as a boy. It is really eerie, profound, Humbling, I don't know the right words to use, to walk around Nazareth and know that Jesus walked where you were walking. We have some pictures from Nazareth. It's an amazing experience. Do you know Jesus grew up for 30 years in Nazareth? You don't hear a thing about him? The Son of God, 30 years, three decades, you don't hear a thing about him. Well, one time, at the age of 12, he went and he sat down with the rabbis to do the father's business got scolded by his parents but for the most part for the most part we don't hear a thing about the son of god but do you know that the moment he went to the jordan and he was baptized of john and the heavens opened up the holy spirit fell upon him and from that he went back to his hometown from that moment forward there was no stir in Nazareth for 30 years, and all of a sudden, everything breaks loose. Miracles happen everywhere. He grabs the scroll, the scroll from Isaiah 61, and he begins to talk about prison doors being open, and he begins to talk about binding up the brokenhearted, and he begins to talk about the, the blind seeing and the lame running. He talks about beauty for ashes and the oil of joy for mourning and the garment of praise for the Spirit. The way you grow a church is... People's lives are transformed through all of those things I just said. And that happens when the Holy Spirit 
pours love into us, and we take that love out to others all around us. Love propels the hope and the faith. Without love, there's nothing. If you read about all the miracles that Jesus did, you will read time and time and time again in Mark, in Matthew, in Luke. You will say, he was filled with compassion. When he fed the 5,000, the disciples said, send them, send them back to the city. They need to eat. It's dinner time. Ah, it says he was filled with compassion for them. The disciples would have missed an opportunity to win them. All through the scriptures, he was filled with compassion. He was filled with compassion. Look at those miracles, those wonderful miracles. It says in Galatians 5, 6b, it says, Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus, in him nothing avails but faith working by love. Faith working by love. 2 Corinthians 5, 14 says, Christ's love compels us. 1 Thessalonians 1, 3 says, Paul says, he's commending them in Thessalonica, and he says, your labor prompted by love. That labor is that faith. Your labor, your labor of love prompted by, by love. So let's close with John 4, shall we? Um, you remember the story of the woman at the well? Was she a tree cut off or what? How many marriages had failed? Five? She had five husbands, didn't she? You know, she's, she's hungry, dry, thirsty, disappointed life, no doubt. And Jesus starts talking about the living water. There is a river. Amen. You know, we've disinvited the Holy Spirit from church. We've disinvited the Holy Spirit from church. Pastors are afraid of the moving of the Holy Spirit. I don't know your pastor. I don't want to offend him and he'll be listening to this. I don't know anything about Pastor Josh. I love him already. I've already been praying for him a lot. But I can tell you that when, when, when denominational leaders get together and talk about the Foursquare churches, the AG churches, the Church of God churches, the uh, Pentecostal Church of God churches, the Church of God of Prophecy, Elam Fellowship, Open Bible Churches, uh, and I could go on and on and on. When they get together and talk, these leaders will say, the Holy Spirit has been disinvited from our churches. We're so seeker-sensitive driven that we're afraid to give the Holy Spirit an opportunity to move in our churches. We think that electronics and lights and bands will replace the Holy Spirit. You see, when we are saved, the Holy Spirit comes in us. You can't be saved without the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is resident in us when we are saved. But something different happens when he comes upon us. Amen. And before Jesus went into public ministry, let his disciples go into public ministry, he said in Luke 24, 49, he said, Terry, wait in the city of Jerusalem until you be clothed with power from on high. Till you be clothed upon with power from on high. In Acts 1.8, he says, You shall be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and all of When the Holy Spirit, Acts 2.4, when he comes upon us, we're okay. See, see, most pastors are okay with the Holy Spirit being in us because we love the whole grace and faith to get saved thing. But for the Holy Spirit... You know, until we see a res restoration of the miracles and the supernatural in our churches, that draws people. Amen. I'm more for the giver than I am for the gift. 
I'm more for the miracle worker than I am for the miracles. But I have to tell you, if you look at Jesus' ministry, he touched people and he drew people. They were blind. They were adulterous. They were dead. They were, in, they were lepers. They were in every kind of broken, cut-off tree position you could imagine. And Jesus came and gave them hope. He, gave, he moved by faith and he reached out and said, even if, now you and I would pray for somebody, say, well, even if they're not healed, I'm going to do it. You know, Jesus knew they were going to be healed, he, but he did it by the way, not as the Son of God. He did not perform miracles out of his divinity. You, you got that? Everybody understand? That's a very important theological point. Jesus Christ as a man, walked on the earth, and he did not perform a single miracle out of his divinity. It says one of the great Christological passages of the New Testament, Philippians chapter 2. It says, he became a man like us. He disrobed. He took off all of his divinity and became a man and became obedient to death, the death of the cross. Jesus Christ did miracles through, the, through faith and the power of the Holy Spirit working through his life as a sinless son of God. We have to get back to a bold pulpit and to bold faith and to compassionate, extravagant, lavish love and start reaching out to people. People all around us are going down the third time. And they're desperate. They want to hear you talk to them. They want to you have the answer. You can offer hope and help to them. Next time I come back here, you'd be having three services again, okay? Okay, a tree cut up. There is hope. There is hope for a tree cut off. There is hope because we sense the water. It'll bud again. It'll flourish again. Father, in Jesus' name, we pray first of all for Pastor Josh for his healing and restoration, not only for this recent surgery, but for the Crohn's disease, for whatever issues he's facing in his body. In the strong name of Jesus, by faith we reach out to him. And Lord, we ask you to heal him from his head to his toe. You are the great physician. Deliver him and set him free. Give him hope right now for that miraculous, supernatural touch from heaven. And we pray, Lord, for Canyon Ridge. We thank you for its heritage, its history, the roots that we know are in the ground. And we pray that they will find their way to fresh water for the promise for the picture, for the future. Release hope, faith, and love in this place. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for coming this morning. I guess you're dismissed. <laughs>